0: I'm your host, Joey Bushnell. Today, I'll be speaking to a fantastic copywriter. His name is Trevor Crook, and you may know him as Trevor Toecracker Crook. That is how he is known in the copywriting industry. Go to unlimitedsuccessreport.com to find out more about him. Trevor, thank you so much for being with me on the call today.
1: Good day, Joey. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your
0: call. Thank you. Trevor, how did you get into copywriting?
1: Interesting question. I was uh, actually in banking for a total of 20 years, uh, 15 years in, in paid uh, employment as, as a banker and then five years as an independent broker. And it was back in 2001, I was sort of struggling as to what I wanted to do. I had my own business, which was the broking side of it and also doing, you know, business consulting slash mentoring. Mm-hmm. And my passion really had been marketing. And it was simply I purchased the rights to Dan Kennedy's material to sell the products, and it was really from there that I started to study the aspect of uh, copywriting because I had a couple of Dan's copywriting courses as part of the, the packages that I were able to sell. And that sort of really got me into it, and my first sort of paid copywriting gig was almost by accident. Uh, I was doing a trade show, in Australia for business and franchises. And one of the store, uh, the stall owners, um, had a meeting with me and wanted to know if I could write some sales copy for him, which I'd never done in a paid way before. Mm-hmm. And so that's how my first sort of foray into copywriting started. And, you know, I charged the guy 10,000 bucks. That was back in 2001.
0: Wow.
1: Which was pretty ballsy for your first. <laughs> First paid copywriting gig. However, I, you know, I put my, uh, you know, what's on the line and backed my ability that I'd be able to put it together, mm-hmm. and thankfully it did. So to the tune of about five hundred and fifty-eight thousand
0: dollars in two nights for him. So
1: that's how I got started. Yeah, and I haven't looked back
0: ever since. Awesome. So you justified the fee for sure with that massive return. How did the toe cracker nickname come about, Trevor?
1: That came about actually about a year prior um, when I was consulting to one of my business clients. And, you know, from having the meetings and discussions with them and putting my my banking background into, you know, into play, it was pretty evident that they were, their cash flow was struggling um, predominantly due to their sister operation sort of raping and pillaging the profits out of the business that I was talking to. So I told them some home truths. I didn't hold back. I'm not known for, uh, you know, sugarcoating anything. I tell it straight. And so I basically told them off. And this was a huge corporation in Australia as well. I won't mention the name, but, um, you know, basically the, for me telling them off and then implementing some of the strategies that I discussed with them, and one clearly wasn't you know, one that I was the originator from, but I knew about, they were able to turn a nine hundred thousand dollar overdraft hardcore debt facility into a constant daily cash flow balance of around three quarters of a million dollars within twelve months. And they sent me a letter um, basically thanking me, it was like a testimonial letter and and where they said, Thanks to your toe cracker ways Etc., etc. So I simply used that as a gimmick. I liked it because I did kick them in the ass verbally, <laughs> and you know, they got the results from it. So that's where the name came into play.
0: Okay, so let's talk copyright and Trevor. Copywriting generally starts with a headline, any good sales letter starts that way. For you, what are the ingredients of a really powerful headline?
1: Well, the ingredients come down to, to many factors. I mean, I generally won't even look at working on a headline for myself or for my clients until I know exactly what the offer is and know who the hell you're selling to. In other words, profiling, because uh, unless you know really who you're selling to and you've profiled your audio prospects correctly, and then you know exactly what to offer in, it is really hard to come up with you know the right formula or ingredients to crank out the best headline. One of the things that I stick to these days and have done since um, discovering this back in 2007 for my mentor, Mr. Ted Nicholas, is that to keep your headline below to a maximum of 17 words, okay? Sure, you can have your subhead and subheadings, two or three or four if you need be, but I'm sure you've seen uh, the long epic headlines, which almost almost like a novel in themselves, and I've done those in the past myself. But, you know, when Ted's got eight odd billion, and that's with a B, not an M, billion dollars in track record as a writer and testing headlines, you know, less than 17 words or more, and the results are always the same, that's one of the key ingredients for any writer. You know, make that headline short, punchy, stand out. You know, make it the neon light, you know, at some sort of Broadway type scenario in New York where it really stands out. Hooks your prospect in to keep reading because the only job of your headline is to get the next sentence read. Period. Nothing else. So if you don't do that,
0: you're going to leave money on the table. Do you have any examples of the best headline that you've ever written? Do you have a favourite from all the headlines that you've written over the years?
1: A favourite that comes to mind... um, Uh, there is a shit there is a lot um Mm -hmm. rather than give you a specific one of mine um i'll give one that i talk about because you know i've modeled from these and you know the results that people get right Mm -hmm. you know based on the modeling from those is very 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 invaluable and like as an example and i learned this from dan kennedy about the the power of adding an S. You know, for one of his clients, he had a headline which said they are offering guitar lessons, so they're running lead generation adverts, which is clearly just a headline with a response mechanism. Headline A that they tested was put music in your life, call, and they had a number to call, call XYZ now. A couple of weeks later, they added one single letter being an S, which was put music in your life same call to action. Mm -hmm. That one letter S turned the previous headline from really I've got to get off my ass to learn how to play guitar to a benefit implying it's done for you. Mm -hmm. And the response increase there was 300%. Wow.
0: Right?
1: (laughs) Now, you know, that's quite staggering for for one single letter. Mm -hmm. And... Recently, as in, recently, as in December, so, and I can't, to be honest, off the top of my head, recall what the exact wording was from this. But my then girlfriend's mother, uh, works for a big hearing, um, loss, you know, center in Canada. And the guy that owns the business has got centers all over Canada. Mm -hmm. And she showed me the headline from the copywriter that they'd been using. She didn't like it. I didn't like it. It wasn't really a a benefit-driven type headline. Literally the next day, I'm shaving, thinking about this headline, how I could improve it. And from, you know, I I quickly came up with something different, which I knew wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. But just some testing, my headline outpulled their control by 15 to 1 or 1,500%. That's, that's the power of copy. So rather than just one example, you know, there's so many of them. You know, I just, I'm just finishing the, my latest monthly report, like I finished it today. And only a week and a half ago, um, one of my friends were having coffee, showed me a, an example of a CPA offer that he was putting out. And to the credit of the copywriter, um even though the copy had more holes in it than the Titanic, it was still generating sales. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I told him to part with some Benjamins and let me tweak it for him at mates rates. Mm-hmm. I said, until I get time to get to the copy, let me just bang you out a couple of quick headlines based on what I can see already will outpull or what I, what I thought would outpull. Gave them to him the next day. Within 24 hours, his sales, now he's, you know, he's consistently getting daily sales of X. His sales are up Mm 59.09%. I really took his existing headline, subheadings, and made, added a couple of words to a bit more sizzle. Now, I know it's not the best headline I could come up with until I do the research and rewrite his sales letter. However, you know, within literally 24 hours, his sales are up 59 odd percent. That's the power of a couple of word changes that anyone should be making to their current headline um, to see what sort of results they can get and increase sales, which is the bottom line answer that we all want.
0: So you mentioned earlier that the purpose of the headline is to get people to keep reading. It's not the headline itself that necessarily sells. So the fact that conversions went up so dramatically Is that just because they were clicking on the page and then they were immediately clicking away without even reading the copy? But when you do have a strong headline, they then go and read, and then once they've started reading the copy, at least you've then got a chance to get an order from them. Is that right? That's
1: exactly right. I mean, if your if your headline is targeting the wrong crowd Mm -hmm. or it's weak slash lame, and you know online, I mean you've I mean. People think they've got one second, two seconds, three seconds, five seconds, ten seconds before people will click off your page. Mm -hmm. And from a study done back in 2006, that's just pure BS. You've got 50 milliseconds, you know, one twentieth of a second before people decide to stay or leave. And when they leave, they go somewhere else and give them money generally. So in this case, the headline hit enough emotional triggers of the, the target market that he was after to keep reading and then do the procedures that he asked for. Mm-hmm. Now, I can only imagine when, you know, the copy gets better and has, hits more emotional triggers, what sort of results he's going to get. It's those minor changes, that, the tweaks, the, the one word, the two word, the five words, the ten words, you know, when you copy that can make all the difference. I mean, I I can't reveal who this company is due to, you know, a lot lot of the copy that I do is you don't even know that I've done it, okay? Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, I sign certain disclosure agreements. Mm -hmm. But like last year, I was hired by a a weight loss company that did $125 million in sales the year before Mm -hmm. to beat their controls, okay? Okay. And, you know, when someone's got such a track record and they're spending, you know, millions of dollars a month in, in advertising and buying traffic, etc. cetera, um, you know, I mean, it's the, the pressure's on. Um, and to rewrite their infomercial, which was already doing exceptionally well. They wanted to see if a few tweaks here and a few tweaks there could bump it up or whether it could go the other way. What I find is people just get stuck. They put up their their sales letter or they do their offline marketing piece and they go, well, that's working uh, to a degree, so they don't even bother to test it. You know, and you should always be playing that game called beat your control because when you beat your control, you're making more money.
0: You mentioned earlier about subheads. Why do we use subheadlines and do you have any tips on how to use them effectively?
1: Well, yes, okay. In terms of headlines, firstly... Um, you know, what I teach people and what I recommend to people is that you should be cranking out about 150 headlines before you even decide on the first couple to test. Mm-hmm. Now, I know 99.9% of people are too darn lazy to even do 20. Mm-hmm. That's their choice. Okay? What I can tell you with absolute certainty is for example David Ogilvy, who's, you know, obviously an absolute legend in terms of direct response advertising. People know he's famous for his Rolls-Royce headline. What they don't know is that was his 104th headline. Took 103 phase before the 104th one hit it out of the park. So when you've done your when you've profiled your ideal customers correctly and you know what your offer is, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, and you've spent the time Investing in your headlines, you can use those. Okay, some of the other key benefits to use in your subheads. You know, it's like catching a fish. Okay, you throw the line at you get that first little nibble, right? And as you start to pull, you, you get the fish further on your bait. That's what the subhead headings are designed to do. In other words, you've hooked your your ideal prospect in to at least read your headline and to continue to read. Those subheads are designed to hit more emotional triggers to get them to keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. Okay. Now you can get them down as far as the salutation. Have the salutation worded incorrectly and lose sales. So all facets of your copy, not just your headlines, are very, very important. And to give you an example, uh, and I speak about this, you know, in uh, various uh, places around the world where I speak, but it's very powerful. Many years ago, some friends of mine, and, you know, I I won't say who they are, but they were selling, you know, an e-book on how to have a wedding on a shoestring budget, right? Mm -hmm. Now, great headline, great subheads, really, really good copy. Got to the salutation. The salutation said, Dear Bride. Now, you would think, and that's a good assumption that, well, it's women, brides, you know, Mm -hmm. shoestring budget, that brides are the ideal target market. Yeah. When they change the salutation from dear bride to dear friend, the sales, the slash conversions doubled, right? Yeah, it blows me away today even when I speak about it. But it's just, you know, it's so simple like that. As it turned out, it was the men looking online, right?
0: Right.
1: One did its job, subhead did its job, subhead did its job, the third subhead did its job. <laughs> They're getting to read Dear Bride and go, I'm not a bride, this isn't for me, click off, don't read any further. That's powerful. If people just listen to that aspect and go, wow. So again, you know, the safest salutation you can have is Dear Friend. Tested for decades, again, by my mentor, Ted Nicholas. So why do I want to reinvent the wheel? But again, it's just been proven with that case, Dear Bride to Dear Friend, sales double.
0: Sure, so dear friend works because it's quite general when it's a warm and friendly way to start the letter. If you get too specific, could you actually miss who you're talking to?
1: Yes. Now, if you, if you, to to add to that though, if you know, really understand who you're selling to and don't assume who you're selling to, yeah. Well, then you can add to it. So let's say you're, you're selling to taxpayers, you know, that are frustrated. Yeah. You could go, dear friend and frustrated taxpayer or, or beleaguered taxpayer. Yeah. You know? But if you go, you know, dear friend and and parents and and 90% of your customers are women, you could lose sales there. You know, you might think that's not possible, but reality is it's very possible.
0: How do we find the unique angle for our copy, one that the market perhaps hasn't seen before? Because often you see sales letters all coming from the same point of view and you're just tired of seeing the same old sales letter again and again. So how do you come up with a different marketing angle, a different approach to speaking to the market who have already heard the same thing a 100 times before?
1: Yeah, very, very good question. And I'll try and answer it the best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, look, these days, you know, and, and I'm sure it's, it's just gotten a little bit more, seems a bit more saturated since, you know, the, the explosion of the internet. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the, the typical hypey, over-the-top hype type sales letter. Right, yeah. Which you know, I'm guessing you may sort of be referring to. It's sort of saying the same thing, and you know, um, to a certain degree, the over the the over the top hype sales letter will work if it's if it's being offered, you know, around the affiliate market or the syndicate market where their buyers just buy anyway. The really the really really good and great sales letters, of course, they have a great headline that hooks them in. But they, they do what, what I call subliminal copy. You know, it, it's very much written. You know, it's very personal. It's, it's storytelling. It's short words. It's short sentences. You know, it's believable. You know, and, you know, define the angle of your particular, why your particular product or service is different comes down to you profiling your ideal customer. Okay, if you haven't profiled your audio customer correctly, or if you don't understand why they are buying from you in the first place, or why they've bought from you in the past, you're not going to get the angle. And so many times when I, you know, I'm asked to critique sales letters, etc., I know the person who's written it doesn't really know who the hell they're selling to, Uh and hasn't asked the right questions. Like, my profiling question is, I think, 15 pages long. So before I even start to write copy for somebody, that's got to be answered because otherwise I'm just going to have to, you know, I won't even start because I don't want to write one of those also sales letters that everybody has seen. So your question's not that easy to answer because it comes down to the research, Okay. And, you know, really understanding what the key benefits of what your product or service does for your particular target market and then finding a unique angle within that to sell it so it doesn't sound the same as everybody else. And I don't know if, you you know, you, you look much on, on Facebook. To give a clear-cut example, right, and I just wrote about this last night. Um, have you heard of Jay Peterman? I haven't, no. Okay you ever watched the show Seinfeld? Yes. Okay, there's always a reference to Jay Peterman. I think Elaine was his assistant in the show. Mm -hmm. Not so much a fictitious character, based based on a uh, real-life character. And this guy's been travelling the world for, you know, 23-plus years, finding unique pieces of clothing and selling it. Now, his copy is so brilliant. He really Mm -hmm. is just selling, you know, shirts, blouses, Top slacks, luggage. But as an example, I went to Macy's site yesterday and picked a dress and and um, had a look at the description. It was like one line. Peterman finds the story in there, sells the romance, the emotion. You can imagine yourself trying on that, you know, that dress if you're a woman, or trying on that shirt if you're a man. You can see yourself wearing it of the day, it really is just an item of clothing, right? And there's so many people out there selling an item of clothing. But the different angle with him is he finds the the full story, has political license to it, adds to it. So the person reading it gets the visual in their mind. The more descriptive you get in your sales letter, the more stories you tell, Mm -hmm. the more you're going to sell. That will be the difference between a sales letter which looks the same as everything else and one that is different.
0: You mentioned that in your profiling, it's quite a lot of questions that you're asking. What are some typical questions that you would ask when you come to the profiling stage?
1: Okay, well, I'll give you real-life examples. Uh, And these are only like the first four questions. But, you know, I was critiquing a a two-page flyer slash letter for a a client in, uh, Scotland actually, who was offering Tai Chi lessons. Mm-hmm. And the letter was, was, was pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. But I asked, I asked, the first question I asked was this, who are you selling to? Male or female? Now, the first answer from John was, it was, and it was very flippant. Well, women. And it was like, you know, I'm the dummy. And I said, okay, so what percentage of women come into your classes? And off the top of his head, he thought it was 80%. So already with two questions, I knew 80% of his paying customers were FEMA. Question number three, well, what's their age parameters? Are they between 35 to 45, 45 to 55, 55 to 65? So I asked questions which are designed to, you know, give them sort of, oh, okay, well, I think they're this. The answer was 45 to 55. So three simple questions now. I know that 45, sorry, 80% of their paying customers are women aged between 45 to 55. Fourth question was, what's the number one reason they come in for Tai Chi lessons? You guys, oh, stress. They want to, they want stress relief. So four questions. Very simply, we know who's buying. And then I said, look, I want you to find out exactly what the percentage of, of, you know, women customers are as opposed to men, and it, and it turned out it was 90%. So just four simple questions, which he knew in his head, mm-hmm. and that's the he knew the answers. He just didn't know how to ask himself to extract the data. 90% of their paying customers were females aged between 45 to 55, who the main benefit was they wanted stress relief, right? Mm-hmm. None of that was mentioned in their sales copy anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if you started running a headline which said attention women age between 45 to 55 who want stress relief and then wrote the copy around that angle. How much more business do you think you would get?
0: Loads. Do you know the conversion increase on that one?
1: I look, I don't, you know, again, that, that was 2006. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, there's just so many stories like that. And, and the, you know, the, sort of, the sad part is they're true, as in sad, because it's just that data is there. Yeah. What I can tell you with absolute, you know, fact is stuff like that isn't a one-off, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. So if people profile correctly and just ask themselves the simple questions, you know, other questions are what keeps you awake at night? You know, what gives you insomnia? What gives you indigestion at lunchtime? What gives you diarrhea in the morning? What are you afraid of? You know, those type of questions to ask, you know, when they're profiling because all that information helps you get the right angle. I was doing a a mentoring session last week for a guy. He's writing a package targeting mums and actually, fact, Almost, almost 90% of their of their customers are mums who um who buy the product for their children with some sort of um, learning disorder. And you know, he had the angle of his copy wrong because he was targeting he was targeting the copy from the angle of all the all the pain that the, that the, the mums might experience and, and the frustrations, mm-hmm. which angle that you can use. Right. Mm -hmm. However, the best angle, which I see for this copy and for his copy, was what are the benefits that these mums' children are going to get and the results their kids get after you invest in the product? So instead of saying, you know, the kids are going to be angry, pissed off, don't want to go to school, blah, 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 what are the benefits? Your kids are happy, you know, Do the angle from that side so they can see their child simply going from this miserable git that they are now, amazing happy kid in a short period of time using specifics. And so they can see, wow, my child, all i got to do is, is pay the money now and do what this thing says to do, and I'm going to have one of those happy children. Because deep down, that's what they want.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. You talked, Trevor, about three basic buying motives. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like anything, okay, um, you've got to hit the buying motives of your ideal target market, right? And there are three basic buying motives, right? And really, the first one is motive, okay, or self-presentation. You know, we must have food, clothing, and shelter for ourselves before we can think of others, even our mates. It's, it's an old instinct, right? Mm-hmm. So it's our oldest buying urge, mm-hmm. right? Self-preservation. And then you look at basic buying motive number two, okay? It's romance, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of old instinct, once we've got food, clothing and shelter, okay, we turn to leisure, so comes romance. And I'm talking romance, not just about the desire for sex. Romance for adventure, to travel, and so on. Mm-hmm. Second biggest, you know, instinct. And I know people like, you know, I mean, I made the decision years ago um, to be able to live anywhere in the world and travel and do what I do as a writer. You know, um, that my basic buying motive is number two. My, my romance is the adventure for travel. Mm-hmm. Do whatever it takes to ensure I get to live that lifestyle and I know many people are envious of that lifestyle and want that same lifestyle. Okay, so they see what I do and they see how I live and that's hitting their basic buying motive number two. Okay, and then the last one really is the basic buying motive for money. I mean money as you know pretty much can buy anything. It gives you security. You can buy the food. You can buy your clothing. Okay. You can have the romance. Okay. okay. So when you find all three and understand how the how each individual uh, basic buying motive works, and you weave that into your sales copy, um, you can't help but get results. But if your sales copy doesn't have the basic buying and motives or motives in there, you're going to leave money on the table because this is instinct to people. You know, I mean, nothing really has changed, for example, in the last 100, 200, 300 years or even longer, you know, in terms of our brains. So whatever it is that you're selling as a product or service, you have to hit the basic buying motives of your ideal target market if you don't you leave money on the table and getting back to your question earlier about well you know how can you write sales copy which doesn't look the same as everybody else Mm -hmm. when you those sales letters literally you know leave out a lot of the key ingredients don't really you know hit the basic buying motives in a way that's believable and you know, so people get sick of looking at the same old, you know, garbage all the time.
0: In most cases, do you think you're combining those three things or do you focus more heavily on one and perhaps weave a little bit of the other two in? For example, let's take the internet marketing make money online niche. What do you think is the main buying motive there? Is it money or self-preservation?
1: Well, you, you, you may think, you know, it, it may think, well, money's the, money's the major one. okay. Mm-hmm. And of course money is a big driving thing, how to make money on, on, online, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the sales letters you see are selling the lifestyle that comes from that. Yeah. So they're, they're combining the romance with the money on that one. Okay. And then that uh, you get to obviously buy the food and, and do the shelter. So the main two there would be the money and the romance. Yeah. Heavily laced on, you know, buy my, you know, buy my product, plug it in, go to sleep, you know, make $5,000 while you why you sleep eight hours. Mm-hmm. Like and then this is the lifestyle that you can have. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, you know, in, in terms of and anything that you write, you know, you just want to make it believable at the same time, use a political license to to stretch the truth, um, but still be still be believable. But definitely, yeah, the 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 two big things there would be the, the money aspect and the um and the romance, in other words, the lifestyle.
0: Sure. So, as another example, uh, the health and fitness niche would be the romance of being attractive, being able to have sex with who you want, or have a relationship with who you really want to. Is it also a little bit of self-preservation in terms of living longer and being healthy?
1: Look, there's definitely the self-preservation and and the romance angle, and yeah. you know, I mean, it's been time proven that you know. The the hidden benefit as to why people want to lose weight is to look good naked for for themselves and their partner. That's the hidden benefit. And, you know, ultimately, um, it's, you can hit so many emotional triggers with, you know, the weight loss industry. And obviously it's a competitive market, correct? But again, you know, I, I have fun riding in that industry because you can hit so many emotional triggers in so many different ways. That you know, it's uh you know, it's definitely enjoyable to write for. Um, but the self-preservation is one. People, you know, you, you mentioned that the self-preservation and the health, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the um, the same time, you know, when you're writing the industry, there's you know, how many diets are there? You want to get past people's you know, sort of cold reasoning is to go well, you know, why is this going to work for me? I've tried that before. I never lost weight. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so your copy sort of got to get past their what really is their logical thinking, mm-hmm. and um, you know get them to where their best buying urges are, which is their basic buying motives. And so that you get around that with you know your before and after pictures and your testimonials and and that type of thing to really ram home because they see a hugely obese person who's now thin, mm-hmm. and want do the same. So you know it's um, and even, like, you know, various markets. I mean, I'm uh, writing for a, a lawyer in the U.S. at the moment, and he targets um, IRS, you know, people who are, you know, over the, the, the U.S. government tax. And we certainly hit all the, the basic buying emotions there. And the hard part is that the copy has to be approved by the Florida Bar, 80-page document just to study. I had to study to write the copy. And, you know, it's an info time trying to to get through and still include those basic buying motives mm-hmm. proved and then get the results sure. but it's definitely it doesn't matter what you're writing for I mean they're the basic they're the basic things that people want um, it doesn't matter what you're selling okay mm-hmm. but find those uh, motives with storytelling and I can't ram home the importance of storytelling you're going to get more sales. You can get an angle wrong. You very, you very easily can get an angle wrong. Okay. Um, do your homework correctly. Um, pretty much every time you get the angle right to start with.
0: Do you have any ways that we can hold or justify having a sale? Um, there's many ways to
1: justify a sale. Okay. If you're familiar with, um, generally, you know, the 50% off type sale, 20% off, you know, the perception is you've just jacked the price up. And done a bit of a discount, right? Particularly in retail stores and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've held sales, doing a damage, modelling off the damaged stock run letter f- back in the late, I think it was late 1920s or 1930 for digital download products. You know, um, when I say justifying, you know, I, I held a sale saying, look, you know, I did, I did some recordings. There's too much background noise. Whoever, you can still hear the content. The content is actually good. Um, effectively, the, the audio is damaged. However, um, you know, I'm prepared to reduce it at this price. Um, so I'm justifying why I'm selling it cheap, okay? Mm-hmm. And I remember talking about this on stage in 2009 in Canada, and this guy comes up and he goes, I bought that from you. You know, I did the email. So that there's, there's many reasons. You know, people look for excuses for a sale based around a birthday, mm-hmm. you know, Christmas, Halloween, you know, Easter, 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Every single day in the world, there's some historical event. If you just look online, mm-hmm. justify why you're going to have a sale. Okay. Mm-hmm. It comes down to your imagination. It really does. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's so many things that you can do. You know, as long as you justify, though, in your prospect's mind as to why you're having it and tell the reason why or give the story, they will believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just go, yep, I'm having a sale. Well, why are you having the sale? So there's, there's hundreds, literally hundreds of reasons and ways you can hold a sale and justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the damaged stock run letter. Are you familiar with
0: it? I'm not, but I've seen that type of sale being done. I've definitely seen that before.
1: Okay. Well, I said I was Robert Collier, I think back in 1930, which basically he said, look. You know, we'll say it was a pile of books. We got a pile of books, and you know, Billy Bob knocked his coffee over fifty books. Mm-hmm. books were good, but the covers have got a coffee stain on them. The contents great. This is the reason why the books are going out. Instead of being, you know, nineteen ninety five, you know, they're seven ninety five. Mm-hmm. Find why you have the sale.
0: Do you always see a massive spike in sales when you're offering a sale? People do just take you up on the offer suddenly.
1: Yeah, as long as you've written it correctly and you've justified why you're doing it,
0: yeah, mm-hmm.
1: it's amazing the psychology that works, and especially when you're writing to a, uh, you know, like a, a list of people who you think would have an idea on the psychology being used, mm-hmm. you know, like the internet marketing crowd or whatever. But again, as long as you're justifying why they're you're having a sale and you're hitting their at least one of their uh, buying motives, mm-hmm. hand up. It's very, very powerful and, uh, and, you know, just that damaged stock run letter is just such a well written letter and, you know, you, you, you I mean, I know, I know of people who have literally like, let's take, they'll take a whole pile of product and they will pour, literally pour coffee over it. It's just such a good way of, of doing something. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the story being told around how the stock was damaged, justifying why it's being sold, at that price instead of the normal recommended price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That formula, you don't have to do the damage stock you can do it for any reason.
0: Sure.
1: You can wrap it around one of your kids, your wife, your lover, your, you know, your, your husband, your boyfriend, doesn't really matter, okay? Just tell the story that goes with it, make it believable, and then that justifies why it's that price and why it's that limited number.
0: If we are selling at full price, how do we increase our perceived value so that the full price still seems like a really good deal?
1: Good question. Um, you don't want to do what the typical I am crowd does and add, you know, forty thousand dollars worth of BS bonuses, which you couldn't give away in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. You wanna make you wanna make your bonuses um, genuine value, mm-hmm. eatable, and bonuses that you could sell standalone. Okay, mm-hmm. now, um give you an example. Uh, when I was in Australia doing direct mail and selling my, you know, thousand dollar business in a box package to business owners. Mm-hmm. I was selling it for 997 and in the, in the second PS, it wasn't mentioned anywhere else, this was the takeaway and the urgency. If you're one of the f- first 27 business owners to order in the next seven days, I will also give you 14 nights free accommodation for two people valued at $1,500. Alright? Mm-hmm. Seven certificates, two people times two nights. I paid $38 for those including tax. Alright? Mm-hmm. The perceived market value from the company offering those was about $3,000. I pulled it back to be conservative. But I created the urgency to get people to take action now and order in the next seven days, and, and be one of the first 27. Right? Sure. So they liked what they saw, but to get them to part with their cash now, I gave them the incentive. They didn't know it cost me thirty-five dollars plus the tax, coming up to thirty-eight bucks. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, one of my travel clients, in the uh, uh, former travel client in, in the US, they would send out. They send out thirty thousand postcards a week. Targeting people to come and listen to their presentation, not timeshare but the travel industry, right? Selling a travel club. Yeah. The carrot or the draw card was that if you came into the presentation and sat there for 45 minutes, even if you didn't invest or not, there was no hard sell, they gave you a cruise for two people, five night cruise value eleven hundred bucks. Cool. Now it cost them twenty seven dollars to buy those cruises. But uh, people know a cruise is going to cost you five, six hundred bucks for a week, you yeah. know, five nights, five or six nights, whatever the deal was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you want to look for those, and it can be online or offline. You want to look for those um, items which are low cost to you as the product slash service owner provider, mm-hmm. genuine high perceived value to the person that's going to purchase your product or service. That sells something at the
0: full price. My final question, Trevor, is when you are calculating how well a sales letter has done, the actual ROI that the sales letter got you, are you calculating that on initial sales from the letter or do you take into consideration the lifetime value of that customer as well? Is that something you take into consideration or not?
1: Well, for my, I mean, when I'm doing for clients and they give me their results, et cetera, obviously they're, they're generally looking at the initial results, right? Yeah. However... You or you know your listeners should be looking at what the what the the lifetime day is if it stays at a consistent rate now I mentioned uh, you know at the beginning of the call about the client I first ever wrote for uh that figure I quoted you was based on his first two levels he had five levels that he offered
0: okay
1: okay, but just on the first two levels alone because i i, I only worked it out on that yeah mm-hmm. From those two nights, he'd pulled in at least $558,000. So it's very, it's very important for, you know, your people to work out the lifetime value. Absolutely. Because if you know what your lifetime value of a customer is, Mm -hmm. right, say it's worth a thousand bucks, even though your first sale might be worth 50. Mm -hmm. What are you prepared to do to get a customer on board knowing they're worth a thousand bucks to you? You know, so yeah, like in his case, he knew that if you went to his introductory night for his stock market event and paid him the 165 bucks, that 30.8% of bums on seats spent $3,500 with him. From those group, 12% parted with $6,000, mm-hmm. okay, and so on and so on and so on up to his real high-end stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: As you mentioned last time day because unless I'm working with a client forever I you know I don't work that out but they but they should work it out as well it's like the little job I did for my my mate tweaked his headlines he knows what his daily income is mm-hmm. he can work out well even if it stays at the fifty percent increase you know he's added thousands and thousands of dollars per month right to his income as in about you know Nine thousand bucks a month, just on that headline tweak, mm-hmm. you know which over the year nine twelves you know ninety what's that a uh, hundred and eight thousand bucks, invested you know nothing really, mm-hmm. invested a few grand pull in hundred and eight thousand bucks a year mm-hmm. you know and, and that's where you know uh, one of the things I do say to clients, well, you know look at what you're doing now, yeah. Particularly when you're talking large fees, you know, if I'm going to increase your sales a couple of million bucks a year and you've paid me, you know, 35, 50 grand to write your copy, uh, isn't that worth the investment? If you could hire a salesperson tomorrow for, say, 50 grand, he's going to pull you in a guaranteed couple of million bucks, would you do it? And I go, yeah, this is no different.
0: Absolutely. So if someone is smart, then to really maximize how much money their copy makes, you've got the money being made on the front end, but you should have upsells in place. You should be marketing. To those clients in the future, and getting every last penny out of them as you possibly can.
1: Absolutely, you know, you should be you should be getting them on the on the back end for sure. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's like I have you know, like people that want to be copywriters, etc., and you know, they struggle to get clients. And you know, I, I discovered very early on you had to have a product first to sell, mm-hmm. okay, even if it's not your own. Yeah. You know, you, have, you buy the rights of something, you can make it your own. I, cause I soon discovered that many, many business owners wanted to, wanted easily part with a thousand bucks, you know, the magical 997 to buy the box of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they realized it was too hard work for them to do it. So they would come back and hire you, in this case, hire me to write the sales copy for them. And you know, and then someone want mentoring and coaching, someone to do events. You've got to have, you know, you've got to do your mind map and think, what else can I sell to people? I mean, that's
0: just critical. Trevor, thank you so much for the information that you've given us today. Where can people go to get more from you?
1: I appreciate it, Joey. I'm ha- happy uh, to provide some content. Look, if yeah. they want to, if they want to subscribe to what I'm about, um, if they go to unlimitedsuccessreport.com and um, have a look at this, you know, there's a few good bonuses on there for them just for subscribing. Um, and just, you know, Start to get good at, at writing sales copy. You know, it's it's very very critical.
0: You know, and um, happy to help them out. Okay, and is it a free report? Did you say?
1: On that one, there's there's actually three free bonuses on there. Ones um, there's a couple of books, some really good marketing books, as well as uh, my advertising made easy ebook. I think um, there's three really good bonuses on there, and um, you know, even if they just uh, Take the knowledge from those alone and apply. Yeah. They're going to be able to um, you know, improve their business.
0: Sounds great. That's the end of today's show, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Joey. Happy to help you, mate.
0: The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates increasing customer value and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.